0: Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Hey, folks. Before we get started with this one, just wanted to give a quick trigger warning. Uh, We do discuss eating disorders in this podcast. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to the Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by one of our most requested returning guests. It's Alex Doyle, sports psychologist. Hello, Alex. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you, Wendy? I'm very well. It's it's lovely to see you. I cannot believe it's been eight months. According to our Skype chat logs, it feels um, it feels like weeks, um, but it kind of makes sense in the timeline of Spurs. Um, just in case anyone hasn't heard you on the Extra Inch before, you've been on a couple of times. But uh, do you want to just sort of give your credentials?
2: yeah um uh, pleasure to be back um so yeah um I'm a I'm a trainee sports psychologist so I'm currently uh, on the process' uh, in the process of of getting a doctorate uh, in sports psychology at the University of Portsmouth uh, which will make me a fully, fully qualified sports psychologist. But yeah, in the meantime, um, yeah, I, I work across a number of different sports with different teams and organizations, individual clients, all the rest of it. Um, yeah. And here today to, uh, and also, uh, you know, I guess the other side of my credentials, I'm also a season ticket holder. Um, so uh, yeah, the, kind of got both of those, uh, both those angles and yeah, happy to uh, happy to be back and chat a bit about what what the uh, psychology might be like under, under Conte.
1: Absolutely. It's it's great timing. Um so as I said, we, we often get people our ex subs will often say, Oh, when, when Alex is next on, can you ask him this? Can you ask him this? And it's like I've got a whole bunch of questions backed up to ask you. Um and what we did, we I, I put out a post on the Patreon to the ex subs and said, Alex is coming on, what would you like to ask him? and we're going to prioritize all of those questions so the majority of people will have their questions answered some were quite similar so um there might be a little bit of crossover there um but let's start let's start with Conte's arrival because that's the obviously the big change and um there's been some interesting comments I think from Conte and from the fan base surrounding Conte's quotes so so ahead of his first match there was this interview with Conte And and I found this quite fascinating. So here's what he said You have to start to think about football for many hours of your life to improve results, to win. To start to think, I want to win, but I know that it means sacrifice. It means to suffer. It means to work very hard. And if you start to think in this way, it means that you want to become a winner. Otherwise, you continue to stay at your medium level. And um, it's been sort of taken in a couple of different ways. I mean, firstly, it's interesting that he's using the kind of becoming a winner. trope shall we say because that's something we heard often from from Jose Mourinho uh but also the the use of the word suffer uh has been has been picked apart by journalists and fans alike what did you take from this quote Alex did did you sort of read that and think okay I can see what he's trying to do here yeah I I think well I think firstly I'm going to start with a
2: caveat which is the guy's talking in his second language right so for a start you know like it, there may be like overemphasizing one word rather than another may be a little bit unnecessary I guess but I think I think it is interesting like uh, sacrifice is is kind of in many ways like a more sort of acceptable and commonplace word to Mm -hmm. kind of describe like elite sport suffering is slightly different um and but I think you know I think what's what's clear from Conte in both this quote and also kind of just generally right is that this is a very kind of obsessive and passionate character, right? He he loves football, eats, sleeps, dreams football, you know, like he is like just a man possessed and you can kind of see that, you know, just in the few games he's been in charge, like on the, you know, in the in the sort of dugout, like he's just constantly moving and, and, you know, like there's just huge energy from him. And I think basically, I think he's just trying to sort of like, get that message out there of like this is what I will also expect from my players like I'm bringing that to the table and I'm going to expect that from other people so I'm going to expect a slightly obsessive level of of attention and energy and commitment and yes that may involve digging deep you know that might involve a bit of suffering and and broadly I actually think you know there's something I, I think generally like just you know putting that out there being really upfront about expectations is generally really helpful like you know not having any sort of vagary about what it means and you know when we've spoken previously about former managers uh particularly off the back of a, a certain documentary we were sort of talking about kind of like phrases like oh have big balls and, and things like that right and it was like what I always kind of struggled with there was like, what does that mean, right? Like, what what do you mean by that? Do you want people going into footed into tackles, or do you just want people mm-hmm. being a bit more hardy and a bit more mentally resilient? Do you mean mm-hmm. physically aggressive? You know, here I kind of get the feeling that there's a, a bit more of a plan, like in terms of like what he's expecting, and and just by sort of immediately setting the tone of like, I want people to kind of give 100, and and I will kind of give them an idea of what that looks like but yes that that's also going to involve maybe a bit of pain we're going to do a lot of running you're going to have some pretty sore legs you're going to have some cramps like that's just going to kind of be part and parcel of this.
1: I think that's really interesting I, me- I remember that the conversation we had before about Mourinho's um, be- comments being quite unspecific and, um, and your sort of confusion at that and the way that would then feed into how they how they um, send other messages to the players, and um, and this makes sense. And yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it is about his energy, and it's about his um, sense of commitment and, and the buy-in that he requires from from the team. Um, some fans have sort of taken the word "suffer" um, in in a different way and um, sort of flipped it, and and for them, it's about punishing the players. You know, naughty players. You've you've been terrible for these past two and a half years. Now you deserve to suffer. Uh, and, and I definitely didn't see like that from the start. I, I saw this as a as a positive thing for the players because like if they've not been training hard, they'll know that they're they're elite professionals. They'll know the difference between a tough training regime, i.e. what they went through under Maurizio Pochettino, and something which has left them in this this mess of a physical state. Which let's be clear, Nuno Paratici and Conte have now all commented on uh they'll know the difference they're not stupid they're not idiots and i think they'll be quite grateful frankly to be to be suffering to get back to their peak condition um there have there, been various other uh conte moments in in his short tenure so far the the key one the most reported one is the removal of the ketchup the removal of the yeah. sauces, the change in diet uh, what did he take from that messaging so i mean in some senses i think it's kind of
2: similar thematically right of you know we're gonna you know the sort of the marginal gains kind of approach of like we're gonna we're gonna improve everything you know well he, he's very clearly said that right like after the Murray game kind of coming out and saying what needs to be improved everything 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 right so he's he's very, again, very upfront, right? He's, he's setting his stall out. He's, he's kind of messaging this very clearly in terms of expectation. Now that can also be taken a different way of like, that could be a little demotivating to be like, listen, we're literally going to have to work from on every single thing rather than, you know, and I suspect behind the scenes, it's, it's a lot more focused than that. So there's something to be kind of, there's a bit of nuance there around what he's saying in public of, Everything, 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 which is kind of basically imploring journalists, fans to be patient, right? Because he's sort and and I think he's also being just honest, right? I think that this team does need a lot of work, right? Mm-hmm. And whether that's getting our best players just kind of fit and sharp and up to their very best standard, if it's developing younger players like Skip to sort of come in and fill a hole, or whether it's kind of totally revitalizing players who've been on the fringe but clearly have loads of talent, um. I think what's what's interesting, though, about the so coming back to the suffering thing, I, I, I don't think it's a punishment thing, but the banning catch up thing doesn't doesn't make me think, you know, it, it doesn't disprove the idea that there's a bit of punishment going on. Um, for me, the banning and catch up thing, I guess, firstly, it makes for a good headline. So, and it, like you said, it's been very widely reported, right? As like, oh, this is a sign of him changing the culture at Spurs. Like, if it was a case of just banning ketchup, we we would have had some successes under previous managers, but <laughs> definitely didn't pan out, right? So, it's, I don't think we can kind of blame Hines for all of our Spursiness, <laughs> um, but I I do have concerns about it. Um, from mostly from a perspective, well, on two fronts, I guess. The first is You know the coach athlete relationship is is really important. It it is really important to have a sort of uh, an element of trust, of respect, and autonomy, right? So having a a feeling of sort of control over the situation, and that goes both ways, right? So you, you as the athlete want to also feel trusted and respected by the coach, right, or the manager, um, and that then often links to this idea of control and autonomy, right? So to me. The idea of kind of if, if Conte had come in and said, like, listen guys, I think you know you're not as fit as you could be or as fit as you should be, we're gonna work on that. That's one of the things we're gonna prioritize. As a part of that, I want you guys to monitor, just you know, keep an eye on what you're eating, make sure you're fueling correctly because we're going to be running some really hard yards over the, you know, the next few weeks. You're going to need to look after your body in every sense, right? Get in front of the physios to make sure you're doing that. If you've got prehab exercises you know you're meant to be doing, do those. And also, by the way, you're probably going to want to watch, you know, just make sure you're eating enough, basically, and that you're getting enough vitamins, minerals, all the rest of it from from that food. Therefore, you know, I would encourage you, to make sensible choices in the canteen at lunch, but I'm going to leave the ball in your court to actually do that. And then he, as the manager, can kind of keep an eye on that, right? And if he sees that, you know, half of the players come in and they've got a massive pile of chips covered in ketchup, and he goes, "Mm, that's, you know, great fuel, loads of calories in that for running loads of hard yards, probably not so many, you know, vitamins, minerals, nutrients. He can make a decision based off that. But also, arguably, if they can then still you know, go out, perform in training on the pitch, to me, there's a question of, like, why are you picking this battle over ketchup mm. if they can still go out and perform when you need them to? Right. Because the other thing is also, right, like this is happening at the canteen. And I, I think from the assuming that the all or nothing documentary was broadly correct, like it seems like they have a lot of their meals there. But not all of them, right? So there's also kind of an angle here of like, well, you don't know what they're having the rest of the time. Maybe, yes, they have some chips at lunch at the Spurs canteen, because they you know, they're not gonna deep fry their own chips at home. But maybe when they get home, they do have a really nice, healthy salad or, you know, whatever, and you know, kind of grilled chicken breast for some protein and a bit of, you know, carbs and all the rest of it. So who knows like what's going on behind the scenes? And I guess to me it feels a little bit artificial, I guess, to sort of pick this battle over, catch up, and it removes a sense of autonomy from the players, right? It's it's kind of, this does feel a bit more like a punishment of, like, guys, like, you're idiots, I'm taking charge, you're not allowed catch up. And that, in terms of sort of, like, creating a sort of sense of kind of, like, uh, giving these athletes a sort of sense of, like, okay, cool, I'm still vaguely responsible for my own fate, it's not great for that. That isn't immediately a problem, but that might have consequences down the line. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, we we kind of know about Conte is that his teams tend to sort of peter out after a while, after a relatively short period. And it's possible that that's related to this, right? Is that like, and, you know, I think there's probably other things that play into that as well, like around, you know, very rigid styles of play, very, you know, sort of like automated patterns. You have to go here, pass there, do this, that, do that that can also maybe play into that as well, right? That's also going to over time potentially erode that sense of autonomy and control, right? Cause you're just sort of being told, go here, do this. Then you go there and you do that, you know, and that that eventually is kind of just going to get a bit tedious um, and that that will kind of erode that sense of sort of motivation. And it sort of then leaves you in a position where if you've reduced the sense of autonomy, if the results start to go the wrong way, you kind of maybe just do it in a slightly on thinner ice I guess right because then you don't have that kind of like sense of like okay cool well the athletes have bought into this they they are motivated for themselves and they're enjoying the process you're having to kind of like impose that and, and really sort of rely on like listen I'm Antonio Conte and I've won everything do what I say you kind of get back into that sort of situation where you know where you're 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 putting a lot of faith in him being a quote serial winner right um without necessarily having that drive come from within the athletes themselves so all of that's a kind of team morale thing. I think there's also something specifically around the ketchup thing that is a bit problematic, more from a kind of healthy eating or sort of like healthy attitudes towards eating. Um, so my wife is also a sports psychologist. Her area of expertise is eating disorders and disordered eating in athletes. So the difference being eating disorders are the sort of clinically diagnosable things like anorexia and bulimia. Disordered eating is kind of what happens on the the spectrum just before that um, and goes all the way down to, you know, a huge number of people have some form probably of disordered eating. Right. Just having slightly problematic relationship with food and the labeling of certain foods as good or bad. The banning of certain foods is not a, a helpful step on the sort of disordered eating front, because it can kind of mean that you're you know potentially right you've got someone who's not allowed to have it in a canteen so on saturday afternoon after a match or sunday after the match they go out and like binge essentially on a massive plate of chips and ketchup right and so you or they're doing that during the off season or whatever it happens to be right and so it just sort of builds this unhealthy relationship around like foods that are good and bad and a lot of basically where kind of most sort of the the science right now around kind of eating disorders and disordered eating is is very much like no foods are good no foods are bad kind of everything in moderation you know eat when you know kind of sort of more like intuitive eating so like if you're hungry for a certain type of food eat that type of food and eat it when you're hungry rather than kind of trying to limit yourself and put yourself into very concrete sort of structures of like I must eat this at this time or or perhaps I don't eat this at that time or whatever so the whole and you know the whole kind of diet culture that our society pushes of kind of like oh this is a naughty food or oh I have to go for a run so that I deserve a biscuit or a pint or whatever all of that is quite problematic on this front, but this this is another sort of like an incident of of just sort of like mm. labeling foods good and bad is is not not particularly helpful on that front.
1: That's really fascinating. Um, so, so I, I guess what I'm taking this is it completely depends on the messaging. It completely depends on how this was put across to the players, and we don't know that detail, do we? We don't. We've not been privy to what those conversations were around sauces and sandwiches, which is what's been reported. Um, because if, if like you say, Conte is come in and he's measured their their body fat and he's seen that it's, unaccept- it's a, at an unacceptable level for an elite team and he's gone, right, OK, I have to do something drastic to deal with this. And he sat down with the players and said, guys, we've got a real problem here. You, you're not in good shape. We need to collectively work on getting your body fat down, getting your fitness levels up. And one of the ways I'm going to do this is I'm going to remove any of the temptation from from this arena, but this needs to pervade into your home as well. And I want to change your behaviours around food. Would that would be presumably a kind of acceptable way of de- dealing with this, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah, I, I perhaps so I think I'd I'd go further than that even in sort of like if he so firstly body fat and fitness are not the same thing. Yeah. Right. Like very often they're sort of they're correlated but they're not the same thing so so again you know without getting too too niche into the this specific kind of subtopic but you know measuring players fat is also very problematic from kind of eating disorder disordered eating thing vo2 max fitness tests bleep tests, you know checking their lactic you know lactic acid levels tracking, you know, having, you know, they've all got those sort of distance trackers, right? So how far are they running? What does their heart rate do when they're running at their hardest, blah, 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 their heart rate variability and recovery, all of that stuff. Those are metrics for fitness. Body fat is a metric for body fat. If you are getting fitter and you're burning more calories than than you're consuming, you will also, you will eventually lose, lose the body fat, but you also need to fuel your body, right? So you don't want to go into an, into an energy deficiency, where you're then actually not able to perform at your best as well. So it's a very delicate line to tread Mm -hmm. in terms of like and just and just saying to the players like you all need to be leaner or you all need to be skinnier, you need to be less fat, you run the risk that everyone's just like, fine, okay, I'm gonna go to like a thousand calories a day. And they're burning three thousand, right? And then they all turn up and they're knackered, their brains aren't firing as quickly, they're making the wrong decisions, they're slow, their reactions are slower all the rest of it and you go like oh okay well has that helped i suspect not right and you've also put in place some sort of pretty unhealthy thinking or potentially you've put in place some unhealthy thinking around what foods you know should be are they enjoyable things that also help provide fuel to your body or are they some good some bad some have to be demonized some have to be praised. that and but I think your your sort of broader point about like if he had kind of said this as like this is what I want from you I want you all to improve your fitness and I want you to make sure you're fueling your bodies appropriately uh, if 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 that's framed more as like so ensure you are eating enough of the right things to make sure that you are getting the vitamins and the minerals and the protein and the carbs and all the rest of it that you need to fuel your body that's very positively framed that feels fine that feels great and then you 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 say to them like if you need some help if you need some advice and guidance on what that might look like we can provide that to you we'll get a nutritionist in who can tell you what you should be eating and when what should you be eating the morning of a match what should you be drinking immediately afterwards what should you be having on a random tuesday or on a recovery day or whatever That's fine. All of that's fine. But put the ball in the players court and without because Conte is also not a nutritionist. Right. So he he isn't really qualified to say ketchup is bad or chips are bad or sandwiches are bad. Right. Like he's he's he knows a lot about football, but he doesn't necessarily know about (laughs) and and nor do I. I should also caveat that by saying I'm also not a nutritionist. Uh, I'm just sort of aware of like some of the sort of psychological side of um Creating these sort of messages around good foods and bad foods
1: and and also you've worked with you've worked with sports teams and you, and you know uh presumably the sports psychology and the nutrition departments will in some cases work in tandem. Um, yep, totally. Which makes, makes a lot of sense, uh, listeners. This is why this is why we should always listen to experts rather than idiots like me uh, spouting nonsense. Um, really, really interesting. I wasn't expecting to spend twenty minutes on catch up, but I'm glad we did. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. And I just wanted to point out, um, and this is this is a point that um, Alex Benham, another another oft requested Alex, um, mentioned to me. He'd heard me make the point about players wanting to quote unquote suffer uh, and he noted that Ben Davis said this week we're enjoying the hard work and I think we've needed it missed it it's what we want and like I just think that's such an obvious point that was like seemed to be missing a lot of the analysis of, of this new regime uh, and it's great to hear Ben Davis saying that someone who obviously clearly bought into Pochettino's methods Great, great pro Ben Davis. We know he's a great pro. He's also really bright. Congratulations, Ben Davis, on the, on your your new business degree that you got from the Open University. Terrific. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm I'm very kind of optimistic about um, about this sort of new training regime, and I'm fascinated to sort of see how it pans out in terms of the banning of certain foods. I, I, there's one other Conte quote from this week, so that we we've covered sort of some of the initial quotes around. Um, suffering when he first arrived this week he said I honestly think many players have to recover their confidence at Tottenham when they finished at the end of the season 7th for sure the confidence is not up this is another aspect to improve the confidence and don't lose the quality and what you show in the past we are working to recover the confidence that someone lost and this is music to my ears because it's something that I've been saying throughout this whole period like it's so clear in that last season under Pochettino the players were just losing faith in the system and themselves um, for a whole bunch of reasons and since then confidence just seems to have been drained and it's at a point now where it's it's really low and we've seen players play well for their um, national teams and then come back into club football and and not look so good so what did you make of that in terms of um, building confidence is that the kind of stuff you want to hear as well
2: yeah absolutely and and I think uh, the thing that that kind of talk, and then kind of paired, I guess, with the sort of the, a lot of the stuff that he's been saying about kind of giving players a fresh start. And Ben Davis is is an uh, an absolutely amazing example of that, right? Someone who was very yeah. peripheral. Obviously, there are systemic, you know, footballing tactics kind of that, that play to his strengths um, that have benefited him as well. But like saying to players, like, listen, like everyone has a fresh start. You know, you all have a chance to impress me like it's is really helpful and that can be very beneficial if your confidence is low right like if you're coming from a place where like you've had a rough time or you're just sort of not in the headspace that you want to be in like having someone come in and go like i'm not going to hold that against you is is huge right so i think that's really good uh really good to hear yeah and i was i was very kind of uh yeah very reassured uh, about you know sort of hearing those kind of quotes and and I yeah I I think you're spot on I think probably the confidence has dropped over a while you know over the last sort of few seasons and you know I guess also kind of this probably actually ties in a bit even to what you were just sort of saying about like wanting to suffer right it's like. If you've got players, like you said, they are generally going to, well, no, across the board, they are elite athletes and they're all going to be unbelievably driven human beings, right? Like you you cannot get to be a Premier League footballer without being really pretty determined, right? Like you've come through some pretty like harsh academy systems and fought for a place in each and every level of those, you know, those academies. You are going to be pretty determined. So the idea that any of these players really is kind of quote unquote lazy has always rankled with me. They may be demotivated, mm-hmm. sure, but none of them are going to be inherently lazy, right? So that there is a question to be asked about like, well, what has happened to their motivation? Why is it so low? And motivation and confidence are very you know closely linked, right? So. If if they feel like the system that they have been playing in, and by system I don't mean like four four two or whatever you like, but just sort of like the the, the the culture within which they've been playing, the training regimes that they've been in are not bringing the best out of them, right? It's pretty hard to feel like you can be your best, right? That's going to immediately start to sort of shake your confidence if you know you need to be fitter, right? And and I think there's just a bit of a point, but like i think people often think about elite sports people as kind of like a different species like i'm sure a lot of people have had situations where they know they're happier if they exercise three times a week and yet getting themselves out of bed an hour earlier to yeah. go for a run is really tricky right all of a sudden you know so like that is human right like having that sort of like we're not very good at, at long term strategic planning, right? Like as 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 humans. Like very often we struggle with that. We'll take short term gains over long term gains very often. Um and so it takes some conscious effort to do that. If you have a culture, you know, if you belong to a running club or your mate or your partner or you know, your your housemate or whatever, they're also saying, I'll meet you at this at the corner at 7 a.m. because we're gonna go for a run together. You're gonna be at the street corner at 7 a.m. It's so easy and, and so are they, right? Like that mutual accountability is mm-hmm. is so powerful, right? So if you've got a group of players and yeah, in their heart of hearts, maybe they know they shouldn't be having chips with ketchup for lunch every day. And maybe they know they should be running a little bit harder in training, but no one else seems to be. And the coach isn't telling them, the coach or manager isn't telling them to, then yeah, maybe you just kind of, it, it erodes, right? It happens slowly and you may not even really notice it. And then you have, kind of a moment and again I suspect a lot of people have been here right like you kind of have that moment where like you maybe do have to run for a bus or something and you go like oh my god I feel <laughs> like I'm, I'm climbing Mount Everest I can't believe how desperately unfit I am and you think back and go well yes yeah, it's probably because I haven't been for a run for six months right and like you, you kind of you have those moments of realization where you're like oh how like how much has changed and the, the differences the choices along the way have been really minute but they kind of all eventually add up, but it takes a while before that can kind of kick in. So I think some there's probably something around that in terms of just like, if they know they've not been doing the right things because they've, you know, they've not been asked to, right? And yes, maybe they know they could be, but, that's also really hard right like the idea of what like you're going to turn around to Jose Mourinho and say like actually coach I'm going to stay and just run laps of the pitch for another hour because I don't think I'm fit enough like that's (laughs) that's weird right like no one on earth would do that right not even an elite athlete like that's pretty strange um but I think what is what's interesting is like If you can then give players, and I think this then comes back to that sense of autonomy, right? It's like if you give players that autonomy of like saying like, do what's right for you, you do actually create an environment where that's a bit more acceptable. You say like, all right, well, what do you need? How do we get you to be your best, you know, best, fittest, most committed, most confident self? And you sort of allow that to become a partnership. I think uh, I, I know we will probably come back to to Delhi, um, but I know, I know there were a lot of questions about him, and I know he's a, he's a, a topic on on basically every episode. Um, there's something very interesting to me that, and I don't know Delhi. I have never met him. I've never worked with him. So this is a hundred percent speculation. But to me, there's something really interesting that last summer when we basically didn't have a manager. He worked his ass off. Like over that summer, right? He was posting all these photos of him just looking absolutely ripped, working out. You know, he was somewhere sunny with car Walker Peters, like. But it was him just hitting the stationary bike, going for runs, doing you know course core cool work, like all the rest of it, right? That. Is like pure autonomy, right? Because there was no manager in place, right? He wasn't trying to impress a particular person, right? He, he's, I, I suspect, he wasn't. Being, he certainly wasn't being prescribed it by a manager. He may have been by the physios or something at the club, or the fitness coaches at the club, but maybe not, right? And to me, that's quite striking. Is that here's a here's someone who is often accused of being lazy or unmotivated and yet when he was kind of left to his own devices right wasn't involved in an england team had no other commitments put that time to pretty excellent use to give himself the best shot at the beginning of the season of impressing whoever the new manager was going to be then it turns out it's nuno and all of a sudden like being fit running loads is no longer particularly prized as an asset right like it was like that's that's going to be demotivating in and of itself right it's like you've put in this hard work you're expecting the manager's going to come through the door and go like blimey deli you are unbelievably fit i can use that (laughs) and instead the team kind of just sort of like waddles around a bit and (laughs) doesn't seem to really be putting in the effort and also that he turns up and everyone else seems a bit flat Right. Like that's also going to be pretty unmotivating. Right. If you've sort of turned up and everyone else is a little bit out of shape or they're coming back off, you know, international football over the summer and all the rest of it. Right. Like you kind of like, oh, mate, but I'm raring to go. Like, where's everyone else? Where is my team? Where is my squad? Like, why is no one else with me on this? And you kind of you're going to sort of like eventually sort of like revert to the mean, I guess, and sort of like fall back into where you were, where everyone else is.
1: You blown my mind slightly there i mean i I obviously had picked up on delhi's summer um gym regime, and I was impressed, but I hadn't linked it to a sense of autonomy at all and and I hadn't used it as a as a shield <laughs> against people who call' them lazy and you absolutely of course it's so obvious when you when you say it like this it's um it's really fascinating and I, and I know that one of our ex subs Callie, will be Probably on her feet applauding right now because she's Delhi's greatest defender. Right, I do want to pick up on Delhi, so I'll, let's do it immediately. Um, in fact, I'll just I'll just say this anecdote first. Uh, there was a clip from Son coming off in the Brentford game. Son goes to the bench and he's high fiving all his teammates. And the seat next to Delhi is is the one that he's about to sit in. He doesn't high five Delhi and he sits down next to Delhi. And Delhi puts his arm around Son, pulls him in, kisses him on the side of the head and then covers son's legs with his his coat and it is the most adorable moment and i urge you to seek it out it's very wholesome (laughs) but it's also sort of showing this very sort of mature nurturing side of delhi like we need to warm you need to get your muscles warm now it's sensible stuff like that's it's i'm so like touched by it but also yes delhi yes i love it (laughs)
0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: David Dor asks, I'm wondering about the impact of the manager revolving door and the impact it could have on the players' psychology notably those that could look at a new manager as a fresh start but are now on their third or fourth fresh start but still aren't in the first team delhi is a good example yeah and i i think there's a lot to that
2: right like if you you know fresh starts if you're having repeated you know repeated fresh starts like you will start to kind of wonder whether what you're doing is working right like there's you know the sort of the classic kind of Einstein quote about sort of the the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Right. So you, you, I don't think you would necessarily, like, I I, I think it would be unfair to sort of say to someone who has sort of like had a few fresh starts recently, like, Oh, well, this one's definitely going to work. Like I I suspect Delhi has his own reservations about that. Right. Or, or any player who's kind of been in that situation, right? Like it would be pretty natural and understandable to do so um i do think that there's the the sort of the psychology of having managers in and out with different styles very different kind of managerial approaches sort of in terms of like how they how they treat players you know plus changes in tactics you know expectations around fitness all the rest of it like that is tricky right like because you know again kind of coming back to you know you want you want clear goals. Goals are unbelievably helpful for motivation, right? Like knowing what is expected of you, like having, I think we've spoken a bit before about kind of like the the concept of sort of having an an outcome goal, which is like your, your big dream on the horizon, the performance goals, which are like how you're going to actually play on the day that give you the best chance of that outcome goal happening. And then breaking that down into the process goals. So the process goals are your like day to day, week to week, like checklist of things that are clearly tied to those performance goals so like if i do this in training i know that i will do this better in a match and if i'm doing this better in a match or if we as a collection of players are all doing these things better in a match we're more likely to win cool great that's your process outcome and and and, uh, process performance and outcome goals with different managers who have different expectations and and i think we spoke before like Mourinho seems to be all about the outcome goal with maybe a little bit around performance goals and maybe not a lot around process goals from what we saw. Again, you know, so just a sort of like, we don't know what hit the editing floor of the documentary. We don't know exactly what was happening behind the scenes, but that was the impression we got. It's all about the outcome goal. Win, 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 win. How are we going to win? Oh, I don't know. Just win. Like, that's not super helpful, right? You, big balls. you want to, that's how we're
1: going to win big balls.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And intelligent bastards. So, but like what, like, what does that mean? Um, and so having that sort of change, having the different sort of demands and expectations, either with clear process goals and clear expectations about what they're meant to be doing day in, day out or not, you know, like that switch in and of itself is tricky. Like that's, that's hard, right? Like that's, that's weird to be in that kind of situation. Like, and that, is going to be tumultuous that that is going to be unsettling and I think that probably does have an impact and I think you know arguably that has also played into other things as well like Harry Kane wanting to leave the club all of a sudden, right, of like this sort of sense of like, I don't really know where the club is going anymore. Maybe I don't feel as comfortable here because it feels, yeah, everything feels in a sort of constant state of flux of and upheaval. Like that's not a nice place to be. Right. Maybe you just want to get rid of that and get get out of there. So, yeah, I, I do think it is probably I suspect has been hard for the players to go through that. It is also obviously part of football, right? Like that does happen. I mean, having a manager who literally wins manager of the month in <laughs> in August and is gone by what November or whatever it is—that's pretty unusual. Um, but the idea, you know, like that's that's really extreme. But you know, chopping and changing your managers is part of football. But that doesn't necessarily make it easier. It just means that you kind of need to be a bit prepared for it, I guess, and mentally sort of like you want to kind of have a maybe have a bit of a plan for what it what happens when that when you do lose a manager. But at the same time, like, yeah, it's it's going to have an impact
1: kind of either way. So interesting. Um, while we're sort of still talking about trading ground stuff, I, I want to just quickly address this question from Fergus McKee, because it, it was an interesting question. Um, and it's something i would noticed as well um Fergus says, "I noticed this in All or Nothing, and here again. So this is when um, Spurs put out a clip of the canteen. Sky Sports is playing in the background. Do you think this is a good idea? I just can't imagine how it helps. I know they'll be aware of gossip and transfer rumours, but having that pumped through a TV all the time must be really odd, especially with the Harry Kane saga. Perhaps the players are made of different stuff. Personally, I find it really discombobulating listening to a bunch of journalists commenting on my work whilst I was tucking into a ketchup-free lunch."
2: Um, yeah, I I often give quite long answers this just strikes me as weird. I, I'm, I'm basically fully on board with the question that um, I, I think that's bizarre. Like I it actually hadn't immediately kind of struck me until I, well, until I saw this question, like, but yeah, it's really weird. I think having, having that sort of permanently there, if it pertains to you or the club or all the rest of it. And like over the last few years, like there has been so much of like, are we getting rid of Poch? Who are we bringing in? Are we getting rid of Mourinho? Who are we bringing in? Are we getting rid of Nuno? Who are we bringing in? Oh, we've got content. You're like, is Harry Kane leaving? Like, we've we've been a news story and not necessarily for the right reasons or the reasons you'd want us to be a lot, right? So that, that Sky News, you know, Sky Sports News would have been there, like covering Spurs a lot in the you know in that period. I don't think that's that's going to be helpful. I, I think it's going to be very hard to ignore it. And I also just think, I mean, even if it weren't about Spurs directly, I also think like there's something, you know, you've got your team in the, you know, all in one place, right? Like this is a nice opportunity to sort of build some camaraderie, right? Like I'd question whether you need the TVs on at all, right? But also like this is their break, right? Like this would kind of like, it's not only sort of to to use the example from there of like having a journalist commenting on your work, but it's like you've gone out for lunch right and and your boss has stood over you commenting on your work right like this is their downtime in the middle of the day right like they probably actually would benefit from not thinking about football for a second and having a chat with their mates building a bit of a relationship with the guy sat next to them maybe having some ketchup maybe not yeah but like i, I think it kind of you know it, it just seems yeah it seems very weird and i I feel like it might also sort of lead to almost a sort of sense of kind of claustrophobia or like, I can't get out of this like footballing kind of cage now that can go both ways. Like I think there's also something to be said for having, when you have a sort of team that sort of like has that sort of back to the wall mentality that can be really powerful but i don't think that's that's necessarily what would be happening there and you know especially when it's speculation about your own manager or your own players leaving right like that's that doesn't exactly exude a sense of like yeah guys we're all in this together and we're going to fight our way out if it's like well, i think he's going to be fired by next week and i think he's off to city
1: that's that's uh, yeah i mean it makes complete sense um and something else that just occurred to me as you were speaking there alex was we quite often hear players say the kind of old cliches, you know, we're just focusing on ourselves, taking one game at a time, which are, are cliches for a reason. And they presumably come from, from sports psychologists telling them that's the way, that's the way to go about things to just take one game at a time and to focus completely on yourselves and don't worry about outside influences. Well, this is doing the opposite it's bringing in all the outside influences. It's talking not only about Spurs, but about all the other teams and how well they're doing. And it could create a sense of anxiety. Couldn't it? If there's a, uh, you know, a highlight on how well this team's doing in comparison to Spurs and how poorly Spurs are doing, that's probably very unhelpful. Totally. And I mean,
2: they've got to fill that air, right? So the number of times it's, you know, if Spurs have had a couple of victories in a a row, all of a sudden the topic is like, can Spurs win the league this year? If they've had a couple of losses, it's like, should they fire the manager, right? Like everything is kind of very black and white, right? Everything is either a crisis or, you know, they're going to kind of win the league and that and that's not just spurs right like that's kind of across the board regardless but when that is spurs like it must be really hard not to then start to either buy into that or be or like want to reject it but either way i think you're going to probably internalize it um which is in contrast to like you kind of i feel like often when players are sort of asked about that you know like they 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 probably don't really read sports reports about themselves or you know maybe you know a lot of them don't really check their own social media some of them i suspect do but yeah like whatever so in some senses like you kind of get a feeling that they're probably trying to remove themselves from some of the the sort of like yeah the kind of the microscope and yet then the club's got the tvs on doing exactly that with prominent
1: ex-players and coach you know some of them you know like they know these guys right like yeah, yeah. So the answer to that is, if anyone from Spurs is listening, um, change the channel. Change the channel. Yeah. Put put um, Homes Under the Hammer on or something, or, or yeah. let let um let the players choose some YouTube streams that they want to watch while they're having their lunch. That would be a, a nice sense of autonomy, wouldn't it? Um, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about sort of motivation in relation specifically to to our midweek competition because we've had lots of questions about that. Um, I've mentioned on the podcast recently quite a few times that i am fully against the a team and b team um approach that we've taken for the last couple of years um in in our european competitions um partly for motivation reasons partly for um fitness rotation reasons and partly for sort of the building of relationships between players on the pitch um But I'm saying that from a layman's perspective. I'm just it's a gut feel that it just feels wrong to me. So I'm I'm fascinated to get your insight. I'll, I'll trigger that with this question from Alex Benham, who says, I'd love to hear Alex's thoughts about having an A team and a B team as Nuno did in the Europa League. And more broadly, the kind of psychological effects being benched or left out might have on players. How might a sports psychologist mitigate negative effects? And how would Alex advise a coach to to present and explain selection decisions decisions on players, and if I can just add to that as well, I had um we have a listener who on Twitter is called Roger That, um great guy we got on very well. Uh, we had a bit of a a, a disagreement about the uh, Murra match, and I wasn't trying to sort of um defend the awful performance against Murra at all, but I was pointing out that it must be quite difficult for someone like Kane for example to be motivated for a match against Moura when uh, all his mates in the England team were playing Champions League football <laughs> like how 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 would he find the motivation to go to Slovenia and play a very lowly ranked team in what is otherwise uh, a B team. We made, we made nine changes. And, um, and Roger that pushed back against it and said it's entirely understandable for players to be demotivated by the thought of playing in the Europa Conference League, especially if like Kane, et cetera, you previously played a Champions League final, but surely their professionalism entails them to overcome such feelings. Isn't the job of Conte and his staff to enable and empower them to do this? And isn't the best way to show that the Europa Conference League is beneath them to win it at a Man United and Chelsea each won the Europa League, so I've thrown a lot at you there, Alex. But um, I'm I'm absolutely intrigued to get your thoughts on the sort of A team B team relation, and and particularly around Alex's point about how how you how you um, present benching players.
2: Mm. I think I mean I'm not sure this is necessarily a right or wrong. Like, so, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to kind of resort to kind of black and white thinking on on this, but like I. I, I can't really see many benefits in having clear A and B teams in, in the way that Nuno did, right? They, they seemed so very clearly defined. And I think we're in a weird situation this season where because the quality of competition that we're playing in Europe is should be so low, um, it's also kind of like, all right, even if you go out there, you absolutely smash it like congratulations like you made some part-timers from slovenia look (laughs) silly is that going to be enough to persuade the manager to put you in the starting team against man city no like obviously not man city because we played them first but yeah like like up against other premier league teams right like who who are full of like genuine world-class talent so that can be that's tricky right if you don't feel like you have a viable pathway towards the, you know, what you want, which in all cases will be playing for the first team, you know, in their most important matches, like that's going to be pretty demotivating pretty quickly. Um, but it's really hard, right? Because you only have a certain number of players you can play you have a certain number of substitutes you can name you can only play a few of those subs right that's also interesting um in, like and I say that sort of like in comparison to other sports right like so other sports sort of thinking about subs like um, when Eddie Jones took over the England rugby team one of the first things he did and it made a lot of headlines was he stopped referring to the substitutes as substitutes and started referring to them as his his finishers like that was their job. Was to finish the match, right? You had starters and finishers. Cool, mm. and that you know, even though that might seem a bit sort of uh, superficial, I think it's quite a nice way of thinking about it. I think it's quite important, quite impactful to say like, you guys just have a different job. It also, I think, is really helpful. You know, and and rugby, you can use all of your subs. So if you are named on the subs bench, you will almost certainly get on the pitch at some si- at some stage, which is not the case for football. Also in baseball, right, you have you have closing pitchers, right, whose job it is, it's, you know, to come on and see out the game uh, or win it. So, you know, and, and I, I think there is something around that of sort of, like, saying, like, listen, just because you're a substitute doesn't mean you are less important. Like, you just got a different role, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I actually think, you know, there are players, Solskjaer, for example, right, like, who almost made a career out of yep. being, like, that guy to come off the bench and win you a match. Like, those players, like... I'm not sure that they were always entirely happy with that, but like if you can kind of convey that to them and say like, listen, this is, this is what your role is. This is how you're going to benefit us most. Like, and I want you to train almost specifically with that in mind, right? Like I'm, I'm very rarely going to need 90 minutes out of you. I'm very rarely going to need 60 minutes out of you, but I want you to be able to go out there and give me 30 minutes, absolutely flat out and win me matches. Like, that's a challenge go do it you know like that that feels quite again like there's a bit of kind of there's clear expectations and you're giving them that challenge to go out and do it um i think and and by clearly defining like you know, you are the a team you are the b team we're going to make 11 changes kind of thing is like is not entirely helpful on that front but you also have to give these players an opportunity to play you have to give them an opportunity to show what they can do so it is hard. I just don't think making 8, 9, 10, 11 changes is necessarily the right way to do that. And especially if, you know, I, we're, again, it's 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 tricky because it's always the same players who are retained, right? So it, it's always Kane, you know, Kane playing against Mora because he's Harry Kane, right? And we don't have that many, we don't really have a backup striker um, at senior level. So he's going to play, but like, so if you're only going to make, so if you say like, okay, we're not going to make 11 changes. We're going to make 10 changes. You know that the that one who's going to retain their place from the weekend is always going to be Harry Kane, right? So that kind of also starts to sort of play into, to you know, you can kind of see like, well, where am I going to get my game time? Where am I going to get my opportunities? That becomes trickier right so i think it's hard but I, I i would imagine that probably kind of a bit more to so like just sort of genuine rotation would be helpful right and just sort of giving people that opportunity i, I think broadly in terms of the motivation for the european games um in the nicest possible way i that there, there isn't really a good reason why they shouldn't be motivated especially for that sort of mura match like you've got a new manager you've got an opportunity you you know he has at least outwardly been saying all the right things about fresh starts new chances all the rest of it go out and take that give it your all so if it was truly a motivation issue that is a little bit confusing to me that being said no one is a magician right Conte is very good like I'm I get good vibes off of him for the most part catch up aside the the rest of the stuff he seems to be saying the right things doing the right things as far as I'm kind of concerned um but he's not a magician he can't magically instill confidence and motivation in all of these players instantaneously right and they have been through a pretty up and down few years not just within football right like everyone on the planet has been through Mm -hmm. a pretty tumultuous 18 months with COVID, right? Like we're living in pretty weird times. They've also got a weird existence of kind of like as footballers, right. They have actually been able to kind of continue their lives sort of as normal, sort of not like, and then chopping and changing managers, transfers, all the rest of it, speculation about Harry Kane leaving all the rest of it. Like that's going to play on you. And like, if that has eroded their motivation and it certainly seems to have, and eroded their confidence it's going to take a while to build that up um the other thing that I wanted to mention about the the murah game and particularly kind of like some of our you know we, we seem to be struggling a bit at the moment right and I know that we you know that there's been a lot kind of said about like you know Conte coming in he's gonna have a very very clear way of playing and he's gonna be drilling the players every second he can between matches to get them to play a certain way and that will also have an impact on on how they then play on the pitch, because all of a sudden there's going to be a moment of like almost doubt, of you know, a second, a second thought of like they're going to have an instinct to do a certain thing. And then they're going to have to check it. Right. They're going to have to say, is this what Conte is going to want from me? Is this the plan? Right. Because they don't know it yet. Now, that will become automatic at some point. Right? that's the whole point of drilling them but i suspect we're still a ways from that right so everything they're doing they're second guessing right and that's gonna make everything clunky and slow you're wondering wait am i meant to is, am i meant to be running now am i meant to be running into that space or that space am i meant to be looking to receive the pass or is that not part of the plan you know like that's that's gonna play on your mind right as they get more comfortable with that, I I think you will see more confidence because they're just going to know like, ah, cool, he's got the ball in that place. I'm going to run to that bit. He's going to pass it to me and then I'll dink it on over to that guy. You're going to know all of that. It's going to come instinctively. But for now, I think... That's a lot to ask. It's too soon for that. But, you know, once that, once that confidence in the system starts to come through, I think it will have a sort of double whammy effect, right? Like it's going to, it's going to be like simultaneously, we're going to see a bit more confidence, a bit more motivation. It's going to look faster because people are just going to know what they're doing and we're also just gonna be playing better football with clear patterns where you know we're stretching the defense one side and then we swing it over to the other side and stretch them there until the space arrives you know like so i think once it all does start to click it will really click and i think you know we've seen that in conte teams before right like when he took over at chelsea they were quite ropey for a while and then all of a sudden they went on that unbelievable winning streak and walked away with the league title. So, I, and I can kind of understand the, the psychological factors behind
1: that as well. I, I think we've already seen signs of that, to be honest, Alex. I think um, Conte made the point that the Burnley game being postponed gave him an additional day on the training ground. Uh, which he, he worked intensely with the players. And with Son's goal against Brentford, we saw a classic Conte attack, an up Sanchez played it long to to um to Son, um he knocks it back to Kane, he plays it through to an onrushing left wing back Regitón, and then Son has turned, he's got on his heels, he's made his way into the box, and he's he's got the end of a, a slid slid cross that is it's so Conte, and I I think what you're saying there makes total sense, the sort of delay on the ball, thinking what I'll do now was almost. Like we can almost see it against Moura. Players did, weren't quite sure of what to do next. And also, you know, there is a there is a point that these aren't our best players as well. A lot of them, they're good players. They're, they're still like competent footballers, but they're not the they're not the best 11 we've got. So not only are they not sure, they're also possibly unable to sort of do some of the things they're being asked to do in the in the same regularity as their first team. Plus, they are potentially demotivated, had a difficult couple of years. There's all these factors that lead to you losing, <laughs> and they got 10 men, uh, losing to one of the worst ranked teams in any European competition yeah. this season. It, it makes total sense. We're running out of time, Alex. I'm, I'm desperate to sort <laughs> cover a couple of other things. Um, where do we go? Do you want to do clicks or do you want to do clutch? Let's maybe do... So I would love to do the, the, the question on clutch just because it's a,
2: a personal cool. topic, but I, if you think that's, that's interesting to everyone else.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Sean Cope says, <laughs> how do sports psychologists talk about and analyze clutchness?
2: Yeah. So um, the, the reason I like this question so much is, so I, my personal area of research is in choking under pressure, which is kind of the opposite of this. So, so clutch is quite an American term. So it, it's basically the sort of the concept of like being able to like, actually excel or even exceed your own performance in those moments of the highest pressure whereas my my research is kind of at the other end of the spectrum of like under the highest pressure like you go to pieces um but because they're all to do with kind of performance or underperformance you know in those pressure moments like there's there's kind of similar stuff here um what i would say is um in some ways it's it's quite hard to study like defining some of these terms is quite tricky to start with and if you don't have a clear definition of what you mean by these things it's very hard to then study it and and by that what i mean is like say like clutch right like do you mean they have to be better than their like better than what better than their level in a normal match better than their level in training better than you know so say for example you get harry kane right And he's taking free kicks in training. And he's smashing them top bins over a wall eight times out of ten, right? In a match, that's not happening, right? Is he... Like, what's going on there? Like, would a clutch... Does it become clutch if it's the 90th minute and he does finally get one in? Is that because he's clutch because he did it in the pressure moment? Or is that just a sort of statistical fluke that he was due for one? Or that he's had two attempts maybe earlier in the game to sort of like sort of zero in and, and kind of range find or is it that he is clutch you know like and and so defining that like but also that like if he's banging them in and training eight eight times out of ten but he only gets one in ten in matches like what is, what do you make of that so it's it's quite a tricky topic it's one that's really interesting and there's there's also because it's tricky like sometimes in sports psychology you get little kind of like people using slightly different words that describe relatively similar situations so there's also research on kind of thriving under pressure as a which is slightly different right so that's maybe a bit more of a sort of prolonged state of of like bringing your best but again you know all of these things are hard and then trying to study them in a sort of sports psychology kind of setting especially trying to create experiments or anything around it is also really tricky and that's that's one of the things that i you know face and and kind of um you know within within the work that i do is like how do you create pressure so that you can study what how an athlete reacts to that right like is there any way at all of possibly trying to simulate the pressure of taking like a penalty in a world cup final in a lab or you know like on an empty sports ground you know of a university you've just got like gone down to the uni's kind of like football pitches and you've got some cameras set up and you're tracking their heart rate and you whatever like is that the same so it's really hard to sort of track it um and 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 really research it so it's i I love i love the question clutchness is is such a cool topic it's really interesting but it's really really hard to to define and really hard to study
1: that's really interesting to me so so something that um comes up quite a lot uh, and has been in, in our twitter mentions a few times recently is we don't have any players that grab the game by the scruff of the neck that's what people say mm. and it's the same thing isn't it it's it's that's essentially a clutch player that's what that's what they mean by that and you're right it's you're wanting that player to suddenly be better than they would normally be in a moment where the chip's down and that's such a hard thing to to expect from a player
2: yeah and that one always strikes me as a bit strange because i i I don't disagree as a fan like I, i i kind of i i sense that and then you look at the players that we've got on the pitch and you've got like national captains and experienced pros who outwardly like look like they should be able to they should be the kind of character who can and sometimes they are for their international team right and and you're kind of like i don't understand why that's not happening but then I also wonder whether, you know, the, there's a lot of kind of social psychology work on sort of basically kind of if you have a sort of like on kind of diffusion of responsibility. like If no one steps up, like if no one else around you steps up, you're less likely to. So it's kind of like you you can almost again, it's sort of like it, it can compound. Right. So if you've got one or two people who are who start showing that, who really kind of are prepared to sort of like kind of posture a bit and say, like, come on, guys, like let's like let's do this let's get back into this game like let's you know do it like maybe that starts to sort of trickle down and you kind of start to embody that more across the board but yeah it's it's an interesting one because I I, yeah and I'm I'm not entirely sure I have a a particularly good sports psyche uh (laughs) response as to why why that isn't coming across um in the team um yeah and I don't I don't know maybe it's that by the time you've got the captain who's the the keeper you've got you're kind of like the the sort of totem of the team is your striker maybe it's just like a gap in between maybe it's that there's a bit of again I think this probably came across in the documentary it's like even though Hugo's the club captain it seemed like Harry Kane gave all the the team talk so like he's kind of king of the locker room so like does Hojbjerg let's say like not want to tread on Harry's toes by kind of getting in people's faces you'd be a brave man to turn around to Harry Kane and go like, mate, what are you doing? You're playing like absolute toilet right now. Pull your finger out. Cause he's Harry Kane at Tottenham Hotspur, like one of our own. And yet I don't think it would necessarily be unfair at the moment to do that. Right. But you'd be you'd be brave because that guy's got a lot of track record behind him he's one of the best strikers in the world so yeah i think maybe maybe it's just a sort of a little bit of a kind of we've got some players who've been there for really 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 long time and very embedded and have huge reputations maybe for some of the newer players it's harder for
1: them to sort of feel like they can kind of step up and take the reins and and sort of take on that leadership mantle this has been absolutely brilliant alex i've I've loved every second of it and we will have to get you back on because we haven't covered I don't think we've covered <laughs> half of the x subs questions. I want to give some um, some mentions to the x who asked questions. So Opa Shoney, Alex Benham, David Dore, Sean Cope, Connor Kinahan, Brian Edgecombe, Diagnesh Vadgarma, Mal Sadikov and solipsistic spurs thank you so much to you all for your engagement with this and we will um try and get alex back on to, to tackle the, the remaining questions um alex I, I don't know if you're actually taking on consultancy work at the moment but you, you should probably plug your business <laughs> um yeah
2: i i will be from the from the new year um yeah i work for a a consultancy called optimized potential so you can find us at optimizedpotentialsports.com um and yeah, there's a few of us as well. So even if I'm not personally taking on clients, there'll be someone within the organisation who is. Um, yeah, and uh, you can you can find me either through that or I'm I'm Alex Stoyle on Twitter as well. And I occasionally pop up and, and comment on stuff, but I try and keep a relatively low profile on there. <laughs> as as you can
1: probably understand. <laughs> Absolutely. For good reason. Um yeah. really appreciate your time. Always always great to talk to you and um and we'll speak to you soon. Wonderful. Thanks for having me back. You've been listening to the extra inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for the production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, e. D Do check him out. Great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.